Following is a production of Locked Up Sports. Everybody, this is Don LaGreca from the Michael K Show. When it comes to talking sports, Bob Walters and Brett Grasso are the authority. Can't wait. When it comes to talking sports, they're the authority. It's Bob Walters and Brett Grasso. It's Locked Up Sports, and it starts now. I'm Bob Walter Walters, broadcasting from the Brian Gunzel Studios. This is Locked Up Sports. We got a big one for you here today. Severino cost the Yankees another game last night as they fall three and a half back of the wild card and are quickly running out of time this season. The Mets fade into irrelevancy as they hit a new low getting swept out of Kansas City. The NFL enshrines nine new members, including two Jets, into Canton. We'll take a look back at their Hall of Fame careers and why I think the United States women's team will be eliminated from the World Cup tomorrow. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Bob Walters. Again, by myself. Again, Brett. Still taking care of his father. Still you know, doing the, the important stuff. So... Um, we have no guests this week. I do. I, I promise a guest next week. I promise one because I know you get sick of just hearing me, you know, but I'm going to try and be as entertaining as I possibly can. And let's start right away. Let's get going with the Yankees. The Yankees. Listen, they, I said last week that you can't keep running Severino out there, that these games are too important, that you're getting down to the, the very end of the season. And they put him out there again. Yes. Last night. And what happened? Same thing that always happens. He got killed in the first inning. He gave up, uh, he has a 12.75 first inning ERA this season. 12.75 first inning ERA this season. He gave up a three run homer. It was three nothing right off the bat. It was four nothing by the end of the second, second inning. And that was it. With the Yankees offense, they're not coming back. They don't score four or five runs a game. It just doesn't happen. Alvarez hit a home run. They had, they, there was one moment in the game, maybe, I guess you could call it, when there were two on in the seventh and Judge came up and he just got blown away. Judge clearly, I mean, if he can't play, why is he even, why is he even on the team? Not on the, well, we know why he's on the team. But, I mean, why is he, even, why is he not back on the IL to clear up a roster spot? This guy is sitting out every other, every other game. And he's not really helping them when he comes in because it's tough to hit off the bench. Judge isn't somebody that comes in off the bench cold as a pinch hitter. That's not his game. You know, and, and that's what, what Boone seems to be using him as. He's sitting every other day. So uh, the Yankees, listen, they're fading fast. They are, right now, they are playing right now. And uh, they have a 2-1 lead. Verlander is pitching for the Astros, believe it or not. He's pitching rather well as they are headed to the sixth inning with a 2-1 lead over the Astros. But, and... um. The Yankees now they're three and a half back, okay, of the wild card. That's that's right at out of it levels. They are right there. They are two two days, two three days away from being out of it. You fall six six and a half back, it's over at this time in the season. And they are right there. They got they got today against the Astros, tomorrow against the Astros, and these are I you I have no problem calling them must win games for the Yankees. They have to win today. They have to win tomorrow. Because the Astros have gotten better. The Astros were going for it. They went for it at the trade deadline. They've gotten much better. They're going, trying to be a repeat. 
Verlander apparently walked into the locker room the other day, and he said, let's go win this thing again. And I believe him, right? How could you not? He's, he's one of the all-time great postseason pitchers that the game's ever seen. So, you know, and, and I know the Mets had to give him up, and, and that, that it is what it is with the Mets. But the Yankees, listen, they're in big trouble. They're starting pitching, no good. The bullpen hasn't been great lately. They, we know they don't hit. They didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Judge is, you know, he's here and he's in and then he's out and he's in and then he's out. He's pinch hitting. This is, does not look like a playoff team. And I told you that if they could, that if Boone and Cashman keep running Severino out there every fifth day, they're, they're going to lose their jobs and it's going to cost them their jobs. And they, like I said, three and a half out. They're right, right, teetering right on the brink of basically being out of it. And you still got, you know, we just started August here. We just started August. And we are right on the brink. The Mets are out of it. We are right on the brink of both baseball teams just becoming, playing out the string by mid-August. I mean, how how depressing is that for a summer, huh? We were talking Mets, Yankees, Subway Series, part duh, (laughs) you know, for the beginning of the season. I was looking back at some of our old shows and, and and the things we were saying. This is going to be the greatest Mets period of our lives. It, you know, it it's it's very depressing. It's very depressing. And the football teams, listen, the football teams better be good. Hopefully, they give us something something good here. You know, we're swapping from the winter sport from the uh, the fall sports and the winter sports being decent. The, the Knicks and the Rangers and the Giants and the Jets. And the baseball team's just really not doing anything. So the Yankees got big, big games today and a big game tomorrow. They are, they got Nestor Cortez pitching today. First time he's been back. First time you've seen him in months since his elbow injury. He's pitching well. He's got through five innings, one run. He's only given up a hit. He He struck out about five or six. And they head to the sixth inning in the Bronx and it's 2 1 Yankees. And Verlander's pitching well. Verlander's pitching well. This is his first start for the Astros, and, he, and he, he's really pitching well against the Yankees. And the and not that the Yankees are the twenty-seven Yankees. Let's not let's not confuse them here. They're not exactly an offensive juggernaut. But for the way Verlander and he pitched well the last month, I'd say with the Mets. So you know, I wish him the best. I wish Verlander the best. And when it comes to the Mets, I told you we weren't the Mets were going to be fade into irrelevancy. After Tuesday, and that's what they did. I mean, I, I'm only going to mention them briefly here um, because, uh, listen, they went and they – Steve Cohen flew out to Kansas City with them after the trade deadline. The Mets proceeded to get swept in all three games by one of the worst teams in baseball history. They had, I think, 35 or 39 wins going into the series. So, if anything, the Mets – what they did was they helped preserve their own history because they basically – made it so that the 60, the the Royals at least, the the A's are another story. The Royals at least are not going to catch the 62 Mets. But the the A's still have a chance. They went out there. Kansas City, they got swept. It's the only sweep uh, that Kansas City has had. They played terrible. The pitching stinks. Carrasco's a garbage. And that's basically what you got to say about the Mets. I still, I'm I'm in a couple of Facebook page groups, whatever they are, and... I'm getting into arguments with people because there's still people out there upset that Steve Cohen traded people because we were only seven games back. What are you doing? And there's still 50 to play. 
if you're one of these people, please stop. If you're one of the people, a Mets fan that's going around talking about how they were still in it and why they trade people, please, please stop. Because you're embarrassing yourself. They weren't in it. Okay? They traded everybody. The guy sets up the franchise for possibly the next 10 to 15 years. And you guys are acting like he traded David Wright. I mean, I don't understand what these people think. This year's over. This year was over in June. So just come to grips with it. We've done this many. Like I said before, we've done this many, many times. It's over. Okay, well, we'll try again next April. And, we'll, we'll, and I'll be right there with, with you rooting and hoping and talking about how they're going to they're gonna be better than they really are going to be. So that's with the Mets. Also with the Mets this week, um, it's worth noting, Scherzer in his first start, which had made me happy because um, as I'm rooting for Verlander, I'm not rooting for Scherzer. I'm not. The, the way he left, the, the burning the bridges, the, the outing of the, of the personal conversations that he had, I'm not with any of that. He went out there, first start for Texas, gave three runs in the first inning. And I was giddy when I heard that. I saw it on you know some kind of highlight or whatever. He settled in. The Rangers got the win, and you know he's he's in the press conference going, "These are the, my favorite games because these aren't the ones where it comes easy." Give me a break. He's going to be a disaster in Texas. You you watch, Scherzer is not bringing them to the promised land. If they happen to get to the promised land, it won't be because of Max Scherzer. I can promise you that much. So the Yankees Astros sixth inning two one Yankees, and. You know the Astros have they did do- we know they dominate the Yankees right we know the the postseason the Yankees they, they, that this is really the first team that's ever stopped the Yankees in the postseason it really is like continuously in a number of years the Yankees can't get over them they the Astros are eleven and three in their last fourteen coming into this weekend coming into today's game. So Verlander pitching Yankees up 2-1. We'll keep you updated on that. By the time you listen to this, the game will probably be over. So, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, I wanted to touch on also college football and what happened on, I guess it was uh, Thursday. Thursday no, what happened either Thursday, Thursday and Friday to the Pac-12? We had Damon Amendolara on here from, from CBS Sports Radio couple weeks ago and I asked him if they're heading towards two one or two power conferences and that's it like super conferences and the Pac-12 I have it right here the Pac-12 they've been around for 100 100 years the Pac-12 think about the teams in the Pac-12 you got UCLA Stanford USC I like college football royalty and college basketball royalty in the Pac-12 and they all just jetted out of that conference in two days. They all, like, there's four teams left in the Pac-12. The four teams left in the Pac-12 are Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. That's what's left. You had, I mean, the whole conference formed, but Oregon and Washington went to the Big Ten. Um, USC and UCLA on Thursday went to the Big Ten. I mean, it's ridiculous. This is why I can't get too wrapped up in college, college football especially, because that's why these schools are leaving. It really has nothing to do with basketball, because college football, because the football is where the money is, and the TV money and everything like that. So you know, CBS pays a lot for the, the tournament, 
But as far as TV money goes, the TV money is in football. So that's why these teams are leaving. And, I mean, just it kind of shreds a lot of traditions in college football. You got you lost Oregon, Oregon State. You lost that rivalry, okay? Uh, well, I forget what they call it, but, but uh, that's a great rivalry, a great game every year. US, USC is now going to be playing Michigan every year or Rutgers. And what are you going to do with the Rose Bowl? So at least if you didn't make the championship, you could at least be the Rose Bowl champion. Now the bowl games are meaningless. The bowl games for me have always been meaningless. It, it's, it's, a, it's really, it's, good. it's a landmark day in college, college sports. Because what it does is it affects the other, the other smaller sports just as much, if not more. Now the school will gladly fly the USC football team to Jersey to play Rutgers because they're bringing in a hundred million, but they're not going to fly the women's field hockey team or the swimming team. Stanford is now in trouble. Stanford has the best college sports program, top to bottom, in America. Top to bottom, the best college sports program is at Stanford. They feed the U.S. Olympic team when it comes to swimming, when it comes to gymnastics. It's almost like a prerequisite into the Olympic team. What is Stanford going to do? There was talks about them merging the Mountain West Conference with the Pac-12, but now you got four teams left in the Pac-12. The Mountain West Conference saw that coming a mile away, and what they did is they said, you want to leave the Mountain West Conference to their schools in the Mountain West? You want to leave? Go ahead. But you got to pay us $32 million to leave, to get out of your contract. So, which is, which is pretty crafty, because it's going to save their conference. Because now what's going to happen is you got Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. So I guess you still got the band running on the field in the Cal-Stanford rivalry. But what's going to happen to the Pac-12? The Pac-12 is one of the power conferences in America. And it's now just been decimated in a matter of like 48 hours. Utah left. Arizona left. They both went to the Big 12. I mean, the, the Big Ten is USC, UCL. It's, it's crazy. It's craziness. And now you got the players being paid by, you know, they're supposed to be paid. College sports is really at a crossroads, to be honest with you. Because the players being paid, and I'm all for the players being paid. Don't, I'm, I'm for them getting money for their likeness and everything like that and video games and, and anything. Because the schools were just getting rich off the players. But to have it the way that has turned out even... When we tried now to do the right thing, it turned into a, a wild, wild west. We got, we got boosters paying these kids all kinds of money. You got boosters promising kids that they're going to get paid money. And then when they come, they renege on it because there's no contract or anything. So players are getting taken advantage there. There's also now the, the transfer portal where it's just you're a free agent every year. And you're going to go to whoever pays me the most money. Right? I mean, it, it makes sense, but it, it's, it's the Wild West. And now you have the conferences, a conference like the, the Pac-12 falling apart with only four teams left after 48 hours. So the whole college sports landscape is now in turmoil. What's going to happen? I think it's still going to just be 
when it's all said and done in, in two or three or maybe five years, you're going to have, you're going to have a, two conferences. You're going to have a, the Big Ten and you're going to have the SEC. And then everybody else is just going to be kind of floating around in, in like satellite conferences is what I think is going to going to happen because that's where we're headed. That, that, and it's a shame. Like I said, the Pac-12 conference has been around for a hundred years. They started in 1915. And now in just 48 hours, you got teams just hightailing it out of there for the money. Like they like these colleges need money. Like they're not getting money from all their students, UCLA and USC. They, that's a big, big schools. And the way that they sock money away and the way that they charge people for things, I mean, it's, it's really the whole college system in America is screwed up. The whole thing. Everything from the students to the tuition to the sports, everything. There's corruption with the, with the parents trying to get the, you know, remember with, the, with Becky, uh, Becky Tanner, Jesse, Jesse's wife, Uncle Jesse's wife. She uh, cheated, you know, her kids in high school into the into college to get them. I think it was they were going into Stanford or UCLA. So the whole college thing, everything from the the student to the student athlete to the teachers to the parents, it's all a mess. And I just wanted to touch on that because I that's a big thing in this country. It's not as big around here, like we said, and like when we had Damon Mendelara on, and he stated it's all, basically it's not big around here because we haven't experienced it. You go experience a big college football Saturday, you'll probably be a college football fan. Around here, you got some Notre Dame fans. You got, you know, everything like that. Um, so when it comes now, football. Today, the Jets played the Hall of Fame game the other day. Full disclosure, I didn't watch it. I didn't see a single play. I still haven't seen the highlights of it. And I didn't even know it was on when it was on. I got a text from my father, I guess, after the first drive. Asking me why the why the Jets where's this uh, Jets defense I've been hearing so much about? I wanted to reach to the phone and grab him and be like, it's "Preseason, it's the first drive. Stop." <laughs> so that 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 was the whole thing. Game that was uh, Thursday night, maybe something like that. Today, which I will mention because it is notable, is the uh, Hall of Fame inductions. You have nine players being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Okay, nine new players. Two of them are Jets. You got a couple players now, and and made me feel old when I was when I was looking up this stuff here that I have on them. That some of them were born in 1984, 86. Like you know, you hit certain plateaus, sports plateaus in your life where you, where it makes you start to feel older. Players you watch start to retire. That's one of the plateaus. Players you watched. Start to become Hall of Famers and broadcasters, and you're like, oh, you know what? This guy's a broadcaster now. He's going into the Hall of Fame. Oh, so you start getting older, and then it's there's nobody your age still playing. That's where I'm. That's where I'm at now. You know, you're 42. There's not many 42s out there, you know. And then I just hit another one where I was like, you know what? These guys were born like five years after me. That's why I got reading glasses now this week. Put my wife's glasses on the other last week at dinner to read the check. And I, it, my, my world changed. I put them on and I was like, oh my God, I could see. So I went and got the eye exam and <laughs> I, 
I need glasses. I needed glasses for a long time. She said she asked me when my the 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 lady asked me when the doctor asked me when uh my last eye exam was, and I said it's probably the last eye exam I took. I looked in that finder thing, and the apple was falling from the tree, and I had to put my hand up when the apple fell from the tree. And she knew what I was talking about. And she's like, "Oh my god, you 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 haven't been here in twenty years." It's like I've never been here. I got it in fifth grade in, in elementary school. But anyway, off course. Back to the, the task at hand. Um, nine members being enshrined into the Hall of Fame this year. You got two Jets. You got uh, Darrell Revis. Okay, Darrell Revis and Joe Klecko. Joe Klecko was long overdue. He uh, he. There was a campaign to get amongst Jets fans and and just football fans in general to get him into the Hall of Fame. And this year it finally worked. Darrell Revis is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And you just look at some of the stats on some of these players. Now, the NFL is – I'm a critic of the NFL Hall of Fame because I think there's a lot of, a lot of people that get into the Hall of Fame that don't deserve it, okay? They have, to, they have this every year because they have the Hall of Fame preseason game. It's the opening to the preseason. So every year somebody has to get in or a couple people have to get in. Baseball, baseball you have years where there's nobody in the Hall of Fame. There's no inductions. Nobody got in. Nobody good enough. And that's going to happen. The NFL doesn't let it happen. They put people in. They, they, they kind of throw everybody in there. We're going to put that aside. These nine people are going in today. Darrell Revis, absolutely not one of those people I just talk, spoke about. He's absolutely a Hall of Famer. First ballot Hall of Famer, in fact. Revis Island. The whole thing. He had 29 interceptions, 7 Pro Bowls, over 11 seasons, and he had 496 tackles. Darrell Revis, a first ballot Hall of Famer today. Joe Klecko. All-Pro, 81 through 85. He was the Defensive Player of the Year in 81. He went to four Pro Bowls, also with the Jets. Uh, the third guy, Rondé Barber. Now, we have his, of course, we are all familiar around here with his brother Tiki. He, the Giants running back and now WFAN host. You know, he's decent on, the, on WFAN, but that, that's neither here nor there. His brother, his twin brother, Rondé is an absolute Hall of Famer. He's not as good as Revis. He was never as good as Revis. He played corner. He was on the box. He had 47 picks. Now, when you look at the numbers, and 100 years from now, when people look at the numbers, they might be like, oh, wow, Barber was much better than Revis. 47 picks for Barber, 29 for Revis. Okay. um, Five Pro Bowls. And the picks is what you're going to look at. And you know what? It's kind of misleading because if you know, you know the the only reason Revis would have had way more than 47 picks. But they never threw to him. He would shut off the entire side of the field. He would cut the field in half long ways. And they wouldn't throw anywhere near him. For, for weeks, he'd go without even getting, just doing nothing. Covering his guy. That's how good he was. That's how good Revis was. He's not, he's not the best. Dion, Dion was better than Revis, I think. But he's right there. It's Dion, and then it's and then it's Revis. As far as my rankings go, when it comes to quarter, corners, and corner is one of the toughest positions you'll ever play, because you don't know where the guy's running, you don't know when he's making his cut. You got to be quick. You got to jump the ball. You got to do your homework. Corner is tor- corner is as tough a position outside of quarterback as there is in the NFL. So Rondé Barber, forty-seven picks. He went to five Pro Bowls. He won a Super Bowl. And he had 28 sacks. Hall of Famer. Chuck Howley, linebacker, 
played for the Bears and the Browns. He had 25 interceptions. For a linebacker? I never saw him play, but, that, that, I mean, he's a five-time All-Pro. He was the MVP of Super Bowl V. And his story is unique, too, because he was on the – he got drafted by the, the Bears. Hurt his knee, blew his knee out bad. Stopped playing football for a couple of years, came back, played for Dallas, and won the Super Bowl and had great years for Dallas. I was reading about him. Chuck Howley is an NFL Hall of Famer. DeMarcus Ware. Now, we, we all saw DeMarcus Ware play Dallas. He could wreck a game like anyone. Okay, DeMarcus Ware, seven seasons in a row with 10 or more sacks. Seven seasons in a row with 10 or more sacks. And DeMarcus Ware, we, we all, like I said, we all saw DeMarcus Ware play. He was, he's a great player. He could wreck a game. He could strip the ball. He was a difference maker on defense. DeMarcus Ware, NFL Hall of Famer. Ken Riley. Ken Riley was a cornerback for the Bengals. Now listen to this. You thought 47 interceptions was a lot? Ken Riley had 65 interceptions in 15 seasons. He recently passed away. His wife was giving him the induction speech today, and it's a sad story. I mean, he passed away at a heart attack or something a couple of years ago, and that sucks, you know, because this kind of you know finishes the 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 circle for him. Like, that's what she said, but uh, you know that's what his wife said. Um, that's not a that's what she said joke. Get your mind out of the gutter. Um, <clears throat> Demarcus Ware, uh, I'm sorry. So Ken Riley, 65 picks over 15 seasons, 65 interceptions. Ken Riley is an NFL Hall of Famer. And then that brings us to the locked up sports connection today in, in the Hall of Fame. And it's Zach Thomas. Zach Thomas was Miami Dolphin. He was the 1996 AFC Rookie of the Year. He's a five-time All-Pro. He went to seven Pro Bowls. Over his, over his time with the Dolphins, and listen, he was he was a great player, and we have something because this he, he has a connection to locked up sports, and when we had Mike Westoff on the show, this is what he had to say about Zach Thomas. Zach Thomas, Hall of Famer, or yes or no? Hall of Famer, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. One. And now, um, look, okay, look at what he did. Look at all the things he did. Plus, he was the leader. On one of the NFL's great defenses. I mean, that defense, we were really good. We were really good. That defense was great. You know, the players would be Jason Taylor and Trace Armstrong at the ends. Uh, Daryl, Daryl, uh, Daryl Gardner and, and, uh, Tim Bowens. And you had, you know, Madison and Sertan. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> a good defense. And Zach was the leader. So I'm a big, big Zach Thomas guy. I, I think he deserves to go in the Hall of Fame. I look at some of the guys who've gone, no disrespect. Zach Thomas, football player. I go. So that was Mike Westoff right here on Locked Up Sports. And here is, I caught a bit of his speech today. Here's a bit of Zach Thomas's speech today at the Hall of Fame. Coach Mike Westoff, I see you. You flew from Miami to good old Lubbock, Texas to scout me. And I thank you for embellishing my stats, and especially that 40 time. You're a great friend, Mike. So Zach Thomas, an NFL Hall of Famer. 
Joe Thomas now. Joe Thomas and I Joe Thomas is the Iron Man of the NFL. Okay? He went to Wisconsin and Wisconsin listen, they they breed NFL offensive linemen. If you're gonna be an NFL offensive lineman, go to Wisconsin. They have they it's like a factory just churning out NFL offensive linemen and great offensive linemen from Wisconsin. Joe Thomas was the best to ever play offensive line at Wisconsin. He played 11 seasons. It's counted as 11 seasons. It was really 10 plus. He played from day one of his rookie year. 10,363 consecutive snaps on offense. 10,363 consecutive snaps for Joe Thomas. He never went to the playoffs. Never once played a playoff game. He was on the Browns during the, the bad Browns. The bad Browns. Like, they, they, they were never a good team when he was on them. He was a staple there. He stayed there. One organization. Today is his, is his big day. Because today is, you got Canton, which is right there by Cleveland. You got a ton of Browns fans. He played his entire career. I mean, how often is it that you see people walking around the stadium and they have one of the offensive linemen's jersey? Well, you'd see Joe Thomas all over the place. Thomas jerseys. He played for six different coaches, six different GMs, all during this streak of 10,000-plus straight snaps. Okay? He went to 10 Pro Bowls. He was the third pick in the draft in 2007. Same draft as Revis. Both are first ballot Hall of Famers. Joe Thomas, was he got invited to the draft. He didn't go. He was out fishing with his father on a boat, and he got the call saying the Browns took you, and he was a Cleveland Brown until the day he got hurt. First snap he play, played in the NFL, he played until his last snap. He didn't miss a single play. He blew out his, um, his bicep, and that was it. That was the end of his career. Ten years, one of the great all-time offensive linemen, interior offensive linemen, Joe Thomas, is an NFL Hall of Famer. So those are your Hall of Fame inductees. 2023, you got, like I said, two first ballot Hall of Famers, two Jets, it's a good class. Uh, the speeches, I'm sure, will be good. They're going on right now. I will watch them probably a little bit later. Maybe tomorrow, probably, because I, I got work tonight. I go back to work tonight. I've had a month off. I got to go back to work tonight. So I'm going, I'm going to be spending tonight in jail while you're out doing your thing on a Saturday night. Just remember, I'm in jail. Uh, the U.S., uh, the women, the World Cup. Okay, we told you last week. That they had their back against the wall. They needed a draw or a win to advance to the knockout stage. And they came as close as you could possibly come to being eliminated and losing in the knockout stage. It was as close as you could come. They, they had a 0-0 draw in their third game. A loss and they're out. And in like the 89th minute, they had a post hit against them. The girl came in all alone. Beat the goalie, rang it right off the woodwork, and they were that close to being eliminated from the World Cup before the knockout stage, which would have been a disaster. That's a disaster if that happens. 
Now, the U.S. women, they're right in their comments. I'm going to play a couple of them for you in a second. They're right in that they're the reason why the competition has stiffened up, right? Because in the beginning, a lot of countries don't let women play. It's not that we're better at soccer than these other countries when, when it comes to women. And it's not like the other countries are better than us when it comes to men playing soccer. It's just that it's more popular sport. They have more people playing. They have a bigger pool to choose from. There's going to be better players. Our better players tend to choose other sports. It just is what it is. But with the women, a lot of these countries don't have women's rights. You know, they, they, these women are barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, or they, you know, or there's religious stuff going on where they're not allowed to play. Now, because of the success of the Women's World Cup and FIFA picking it up and making it a real, a real sport, basically, in in the world, a worldwide sport. Now the other countries are starting to catch up. Now the U.S. isn't having such an easy time just breezing through these tournaments. And now they almost got eliminated in the group stage, and I think they're going to be eliminated tomorrow. I'm picking Sweden to beat them tomorrow. Now they play. So they played Sweden 43 times. Sweden does not beat them, okay? But now Sweden's hungry. They're good. They're almost the U.S. is not playing their best soccer, not at all. There's been a bunch of upsets in this tournament. You got Brazil and Germany out in the group stage, which is huge. Brazil and Germany. I mean, you don't even have to know anything about soccer. You know, Brazil and Germany should probably make it, you know, deep into the tournament when they play soccer in anything. You got the U.S. women kind of button heads a little bit. They celebrated when they when they won or when they when they got advanced after the draw. And Megan, uh, his name Megan Rapone, said she said, "There's nothing to celebrate the way we played, nothing to celebrate." And she's right because you know what? Now you expect to win in the U.S. U.S. women doesn't lose; they don't lose these tournaments. They don't lose any tournaments. They make it at least to the semifinals before they lose. And now, I think they lose tomorrow, and I think they're out after tomorrow. The game is 5 p.m. on Sunday. It'll be the 44th meeting between Sweden. And the U.S., it's kind of an unlikely rivalry that we got with Sweden. And I got a, here's what a couple of the women have said coming into the game. And, and they talk about the, the, uh, what I just spoke about with the other teams and the other countries catching up to them. First, you're going to hear Lindsay Horan and then Megan Rapone. Here's the U.S. women. I think we said it before this tournament. You know, this will be the most competitive World Cup, and if you're not watching it, uh, you're really missing out. I think it it is showing, you know, the investment um, in women's sports and women's football. Every every result that you see, you know, it's it's insane. I think for us, we're not surprised. Um, I think all the players should feel an immense sense of pride about the quality of the tournament and about us backing up everything that we said about ourselves. We, you know, just in general, we've had to bet on ourselves so much, and uh, we hit every time. So the game is tomorrow, 5 o'clock, U.S.-Sweden. It's the first game of the knockout stage. We'll see what they do. I think Sweden beats them. You know, they, listen, the U.S. Is, an, is, a, is a clear favorite, obviously. Let me see what the, the odds are in the game. U.S. is a clear favorite. Like I said, it's, it's been a tournament of upsets. You got Germany out. You got Brazil out. In the in the 
in the group stage, which is unheard of. So now let's see. Let's see what the odds are. So it's not it's not as crazy as you think. It's uh, the odds are U.S. is minus one forty four to win to advance, and Sweden is plus one eighteen. So you see that that's why it's even Vegas knows that the U.S. has not been playing their best, that they're ripe here for the for to be picked off. And I think it's going to be a good game. And it, it, listen, it'll be, it'll be good for Sweden if they win, right? It'll be, it'll be one of the, the biggest win in in soccer history for the country, I would imagine, beat knocking off the women. So, uh, what else we got today? We got I got some uh, some just some news and notes for you here. Uh, Anthony Davis resigned with the Lakers. He now is the highest paying per season NFL player in history. He is going to be making $60.7 million a year. $60.7 million a year. These NBA players, these NBA salaries are out of control now. Out of control. Jalen Brown, 60. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jalen Brown signed just uh, last week $60.7 million a year. Anthony Davis just topped it. Sixty-two million a year. Now, I listen. I I'm not an Anthony Davis guy. I I don't think he's a winner. He's a great player. I think he's one step below what James Harden and what Kyrie are as far as a, a detriment to your team. Okay, that Anthony Davis played on a lot of teams and he tore a lot of teams down. Now, I know that's a common thing in the NBA. The NBA plays rule it. There's a lot of players that have done that. But Anthony Davis, being a great player, and the the talent that he has since he came out of Kentucky, for him to win only one title, and it was the COVID year, and he's had many, many chances, and he's come up small in a lot of them. I'm not a big Anthony Davis guy. I don't think I would have given him $62 million a year if I was the Lakers, but they did. He's now the highest-paying per-year NBA player in history. Jalen Brown, second, like we said last week, he signed. All these numbers I'm about to read to you, and all these players signed this year, since the, since the end of the season. Davis, $62 million. Jalen Brown, $60.7 million. Damian Lillard and Devin Booker, both 50, I'm sorry, Damian Lillard, $59.9 million, and then Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns, both at $58.7 million per year. <sighs> Some nice money, huh? That is a nice job to have. So there's that. Also in the uh, NFL, like I said, the Jets game, the Jets played. I didn't even know the Jets were playing. I haven't seen the highlights. I know Rodgers didn't play. Supposedly Zach Wilson had a nice 50-yard throw. I heard a couple people talking about, well, maybe if Rodgers loses, if Rodgers is 1-4 and four to start the season and, you know, Zach Wilson has done real good in camp, do we maybe make a switch just to get things go- Stop it. Stop. You're gonna run you're gonna run Aaron Rodgers out of town before he even takes a snap for you. Stop. Zach Wilson is you see him throw one fifty yard pass and all of a sudden Zach Wilson is better than Aaron Rodgers? And I've heard that. A couple people said that. Stop it. I don't think Zach Wilson barring a disaster I mean, if Zach Wilson is your quarterback at all this season, it's a massive disaster. A massive disaster. And that's regardless of how he gets the game. Unless it, unless he's in the game taking a knee at 60-3, to three, it's a disaster. Zach Wilson, you don't want him anywhere near the field. That means Rodgers got hurt is what it means. Or, you know, God forbid, they're 4-10. and 10. 
and Rodgers just doesn't want to play. But if you start giving Rodgers all the time, if he, if he starts out one and four, listen, there's going to be plenty of people all over him, media all over him, if they somehow start out one and four. Because the Jets have to win the division. They have to win the division this year. And they have to advance in the playoffs. They don't have to win a Super Bowl this year. First year, they don't have to, with, with Rodgers, you don't have to win the Super Bowl. But you better at least get be playing in that divisional round. That divisional weekend, you better have a game. And it should be at the Meadowlands. It should be at MetLife if you're the Jets. And if you really want to you know, somehow keep your fan base from you know, marching down the down the city is going to happen. These Jets fans now are expecting a Super Bowl in the next two years. And Jets fans never expect a Super Bowl. Never. And they're expecting one. So you better at least, Robert Sala, you better at least win the division. And you better be playing a game on divisional weekend. And it should be at MetLife. Okay. I don't. I don't ever remember the Jets having a home playoff game. I've. Ne- I. I'm sure they have, and I don't know the exact year when their last home playoff game was. I'd never seen the Jets play a, a home playoff game. I'm 42 years old, and I'm sure they have in my lifetime. But I've been watching football my entire life. I feel like it's something I would have remembered. I've never seen the Jets play a home playoff game. You better have one in the next. You better have a couple of them in the next two years. Otherwise, it, I mean, and I don't expect it to happen. I'm sitting here waiting. I'm a Giants fan, but I'm sitting here waiting for Aaron Rodgers to blow his knee out or something. Because I know, I listen, I know I'm a Mets fan, so I know. And this, the, the, the even rough part is, is I have it easier. I've won a couple of Super Bowls as a Giants fan, right? Those Jets fans are Mets fans. Most of them. Talk about having a cross to bear. So that's what's going on there. The uh, NFL came down with an Alvin Kamara ruling. We got into a fight in a club or in a casino last year it, uh, in Vegas. Kamara suspended three games, so he'll be back by the end of uh, you know by the beginning of October, end of September. Three games. The Saints, you know that that's where that's where Westoff is. So you know. That's it. Yankees right now still 2-1, top of the eighth inning. So they're desperately trying to hold on. Yankees need this game today, and they need to win tomorrow. They cannot fall. They are right on the right on the, the, the cusp of falling out of the race. The Mets, like we said, Mets, uh, I told you, they would fade into irrelevancy, and they, that's exactly what they did. They went to Kansas City. They lost three. They got blown out last night in Baltimore. I'm sure they're going to lose again tonight. They might take either game today or game tomorrow. But the Mets are now irrelevant. We will basically see you next season. Um, Brett, we're, listen, we're hoping for Brett to come back next week. I'm trying to get a couple guests. I might have a Mets guest, so we might be talking some Mets. But if I do have a Mets guest, I promise it'll be a good, it'll be a good guest. So um, that does it for me. I got work tonight. I got to go get some sleep. I got to probably go in there and do 16, 18 hours, whatever it is, in jail on my first day back. And it's already, you know, like 4 o'clock, so I'm already, I'm already not going to get much sleep. But thanks for listening, everybody. I will talk to you Tuesday. We'll have Mark Mancini again on Tuesday. Uh, we'll do some baseball. We'll do some football. We'll do everything with him. Uh, so he's our regular Tuesday guest. He will be on Tuesday on the wrap-up show. And, all right, so that does it for us here. Uh, Yankees 2-1. Still lead, top of the eighth inning, one out. 
Verlander on the short end right now of a pitcher's duel. Congratulations to the NFL Hall of Famers. Uh, U.S. women tomorrow, 5 o'clock. I got Sweden. <laughs> so that's a good sign for the U.S. women. Tuesday, Mark Mancini joins us again. A regular Tuesday spot with him. We'll talk to you uh, on Tuesday. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. I'm Bob Walters. See ya. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to let everyone know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on our website at LockedUpSports.net. Remember, you can also find us on your favorite social media site, on Twitter at LockedUpSports, on the gram at Locked underscore up underscore sports. Join our Facebook group, Locked Up Sports, or on TikTok at Locked Up Sports Show. Now you can catch all the latest from Locked Up Sports anytime. Thanks for listening.